we're going to be talking about doing things God's way. Amen. And he's been stirring some stuff in my heart where I even learned that well, this is what God spoke to me a couple months back. And when I say God spoke to me, I, I'm trying to watch the terms that I use. When I say God spoke to me, I had a witness in my spirit from the spirit of God. And I perceived it to be God speaking to me. And the same way he speaks to me is exactly how he speaks to you. Through the word, perception, every once in a while we'll get that audible voice and we're just like, mm-mm. That, you know, because when he speaks like that, you got to hold on now because <laughs> something's forthcoming, right? You know, and so I, I actually low key believe God for no burning bush experiences because <laughs> if I have a burning bush experience, hold on now because things are about to get turbulent, right? And so, but I was perceiving in my heart, and God spoke this to me, and let it be a word unto you as we talk about these things tonight. Maybe some course correction and adjustments that we need to make. He said, Robert, you've gotten really good at doing things in your own strength. And as I begin to process that and deal with that, does God ever correct anybody else in the room? And I'm grateful for that correction. Hallelujah. I'm trying my best to get it right more often so there is less correction. I just look at it this way. The, the Lord corrects those who he loves. He really loves me. I mean, really loves me. Does he really love you? Amen. And so I begin to look at that and I begin to realize, you know what? I have been doing things in my own strength. And, and that's not what God, we were not intended to do things in this life by our own strength. Amen. And so uh, just watch that as you move forward into 2023. There's some things that God wants to do in your family. There's some things he wants to do in your businesses. There's even some things he wants to do in this church. And it's not going to be done by the strength of man. It's going to be done by the strength in the hand of God. As we seek his face. He's going to do some mighty things. And I truly believe that with all of my heart. And so he's been talking to me about revival and he's been talking to me about some course correction. And we've been ministering to the youth about it and just making sure that we're esteeming God the way he ought to be esteemed. To make sure we're honoring God the way he ought to be honored. And, and he's been doing and he spoke this to me again, perceived in my heart. And especially with the youth, he, he told me, I've called you to bring a holy reverence of a mighty God. I believe there's a reverence coming back to the church. A reverence like never before. And when we have a reverence like never before, we'll see God like never before. And through our culture and stuff, some stuff has slipped in where without even realizing it, I think the church has gotten irreverent in many ways. And I think as a reverence comes back by doing things God's way, there'll be a reverence there. And that reverence is going to open up the door for him to move in a very mighty and powerful way. You know, and not to not to get on to anybody, but the, I'll just give you one example. And I know that there's some people that are going to adamantly and, and vehemently, if you can use that word, disagree with me concerning this. But I've noticed in the church, uh oh, I messed up my my document here. All right. I noticed in the church uh, because whether you realize it, the psyche of the human race is very motivated by things we see in here, and it just slips into our conduct if we're not careful. And I, I follow a lot of churches online, and a lot of, I got minister friends and stuff like that. And there's something where God wants to marry the two between contemporary and reverence. And I think the church has gotten too contemporary in some aspects. 
I saw a church that threw a Christmas party for their staff and their volunteers, and they have a lot of staff and volunteers. And it was just a Christmas party, but yet everybody came in formal attire. Nice gowns, beautiful necklaces, some in tuxedos, some in suits. And they just had a wonderful, they shared gifts and, and, and they had uh, food that was catered and, and they took pictures and they posted it on social media. And then that same church will worship God on Sunday mornings in an outfit that I would wear to the gym. And I started thinking about this and I started thinking how we'll bring our very best to a party but we won't bring our very best to worship God. And this is one reason not to get in the ditch on this, but why? And now if you're in here and you're wearing, you know, shorts or, you know, uh, yoga pants, I'm not directing this at you. I'm just saying if we're not careful, these things slip into our perception of God. Whether you agree with it or not, it just happens. It happens. When, when we're casual in certain things, we become casual in other things, and there's no denying of that. As I've noticed that contemporary churches have gotten larger and, and their worship teams have gotten more casual, I've seen the church as a whole become more casual with God. Now, whether you agree if it's connected or not, that's for you and I to debate, and I will argue with you because I love to argue. I'm just telling you what I see. What I see, how we'll put on our best for natural things and secular things, but not our best for the creator of the universe. Now, listen to me, church. I, I think about God Almighty. He is the Almighty God. He is the creator of the universe. And, and if the church cannot take him serious, how do we think the world is going to take him serious? Listen to me. If we want the church to stop mocking God, then the church needs to stop mocking God. We, this is, Abraham, when he was told by God to sacrifice Isaac, he just did it. Because the most powerful being in the universe spoke it. If we want the world to think that our God doesn't exist, then just let the world watch you talk about how powerful he is. But yet when he speaks to you, you don't obey. Because then they're going to think, well, if he is the almighty and the creator and has all this power that you speak of, but yet he can't even influence you to obey him. Well, then your God's not real. And a lot of them see that. And so God is, he, when he corrects course, he corrects course. See, I would much rather be preaching in casual attire, but I also have to watch Robert's mindset. I can't be casual in this. So if I need to dress like this to be serious about it, then I need to dress like this to be serious about it. Because the world is watching the church. Amen. And so we need to be like, and, and look at this now. If you think about it, the people that watched Abraham that didn't believe in Abraham's God had a reverence for Abraham's God. Because Abraham feared a holy and mighty God. This is not where we're going tonight. Hallelujah. But this is good anyway. So we're just going to go with it. Because Abraham 
was willing when when the when the creator of the universe speaks to me church we can't even take now i believe everybody in the room does this amen so when i say it it's a great spot for an amen because that means you're on board god can't even get his church to tithe which is what belongs to him anyways See, Abraham had this reverence because, and, and this is key, he knew God. When you know God, whoo, you don't question God now. Now, no, let, me, let me rephrase that. You can question God as long as you're willing to submit to the answer. <laughs> okay, come on now. I, I'm going to say that again because that was really good. Amen. You can question God as long as you're willing to submit to the answer. If you're not willing to submit to the answer, then don't question Amen. Glory. So you can, Jesus, okay now, this is not blasphemous, but in the garden, low-key question God, if there be any other way. That's a question. But he was willing to submit to the answer no matter, here's the key, what it cost him. Am I willing to submit to the answer no matter what it costs me? See, at the beginning of the year, and God was working on me in December, and he, he said, you know, I want you at the start of the year to do a 21-day fast. Remember, Robert, you've gotten good at doing things in your own strength. And he told me on the get-go, and, and I'm talking about a fast, y'all. Don't get it twisted. This isn't Daniel's fast. Daniel was on a diet. <laughs> he was keeping Jewish kosher law. And, and you know what Daniel did, because a lot of this is what happens when we misinterpret scriptures is then we don't really walk out what God has asked us to do. Because there's a lot of people right now will saying, I'm on a fast, but I'm on Daniel's fast. The definition of fast is to abstain from food. You all think I wanted to abstain from food. You don't know my love for food. I'll give up a lot of things in this world before I give up food. So this is like a very high level. But who am I to argue with God? The one who hung the stars and the moon. Whose word is still holding all this together. I heard somebody the other day saying, well, I don't believe in God because, you know, he can't be explained by science. And I thought myself, if you need science to explain God, he ain't no God at all. My God lives outside of science. Come on. We, glory to God. We've seen many miracles in this church that are outside of science because we serve a God. Lives outside of time and space and matter. Outside of science. That's the God that you serve. And so he called me to a 21 day fast, a real fast. I haven't eaten anything in 15 days. If I pass out, don't give me CPR. Give me a burger. Just walk up here, put a cheeseburger in my mouth. I don't want no CPR. I want a cheeseburger. Amen. But the Lord told me at the beginning of the fast, if you'll feast on manna from heaven, you won't be hungry. Amen. I've read my Bible more in 15 days than I've read it in a long time, friends. And I haven't been hungry one time. I've wanted to eat because I want to eat, but I'm not hungry. And this is the key. When you rely on God, your wants dissipate. But those wants will remain very active in you until you start relying on and trusting on and depending on God. Some of those indulgences that we take part of that God does not approve of, those wants would go away if you just seek more of him. 
See, you're fighting it in the natural. And that's the problem. We fight in the supernatural. For your weapons are mighty. We'll be looking at them on weapons on Sunday. Those weapons are mighty. And well, I've got this thing that just keeps circling around and I can't get free of it because you're fighting it in the natural. The key is always more of him. And the key is always, listen to me now, church, doing it his way. There's no power in Robert's way. I've done proved that many times over. There's no power in my way. There's power in his way. Amen. I got a great example of this over in First Chronicles. Woo, y'all having fun tonight? And so I've been on this fast, and God's just been revealing things to me and showing me things. Because you remember when Jesus fasted. Now, now, homie really fasted. I mean, he went 40 days. Yo, he big time. <laughs> you know, he sets a standard. And, and fasting is biblical, amen? And you can't just do it because I'm doing it. you got to get a word from God and do what God tells you to do. Amen? Because you might go to the hospital. <laughs> so, so find out what God's asking you to do and then do it, right? And Jesus fasted, but what's interesting about the fast of Jesus, when he came out of the wilderness, the Bible says he came out in spirit and power. Spirit and power. So when you obey God and do things, you always come out at a higher level. Amen. So I was going to read chapter 13 and I was going to read verses 7 through 14. But I don't know if we have to. Well, we'll just we'll start in verse one. Actually, it says David consulted with all of his officials. So let me give you the backstory of what's going on here. David is getting ready to go get the ark. We talked about this Sunday. You can tell what I've been reading about meditating on it just kind of comes out. David, you know, Saul had neglected the, the Philistines, defeated Israel in battle, killed 34,000 troops. And in, so, in doing so, they stole the ark. And what was the ark? It was, the, it was this golden box that they put the word of God in. And when the Philistines stole the ark, you remember what happened in Samuel. It says that they put it in their temple or whatever with their statue, the dragon. And they came in the next day. The dragon was bowed over. They came in the next day. The dragon was bowed over. They came in the next day. His arms and his legs were cut off. Nothing but his torso left. Right? So there's interest in, you remember on Sunday when we were reading Revelation, who's the dragon? Satan's the dragon. The word always defeats the dragon. See, in that covenant, in that Ark of the Covenant was the Word of God. What's the Word of God? Jesus is the Word. He was the Word made flesh. Jesus always defeats the dragon. Satan, he's already done, been defeated, amen. But anything he tries to do in your life is nothing but defeat for him and victory for you because the Word always defeats the enemy. And so we even see that in the Old Covenant, how the Word would knock over a statue that's a type in the shadow because it's the dragon of the devil. Doesn't even have to do anything, just being in the presence. Amen. And so uh, anyways, they, so the Philistines have it. And, and this, is, this is what the word does to the enemy. It just plagues them. It's what the word is constantly doing to the devil. Driving him crazy. Driving him nuts. And those Philistines had all sorts of problems, right? So what did they do? They moved it from town to town to try to see if it was the town that was located. And everywhere it went, famine, you know, locust, all that good stuff. And so finally, what did they say? They said, well, let's go send this back. What we're going to do is put it in a cart. We're going to make a new cart for it. We're going to get a couple young ox. We're going to strap them to the cart. And if those young ox walk across the border, we're going to know that it's God's, right? And then hopefully this famine will leave us, right? And so they built that cart. They put the Ark of the Covenant. It drives across the border just like they thought it would. And then it parks itself right next to a giant rock. I wonder what that is. And then the farmers are out there and they see it and they start rejoicing and they start praising God. And then it gets moved to a town and it gets neglected there by Saul for like 30 some years. And then David gets placed in charge and he says, you know what? It's time to go get that ark. 
And so David goes out and he gets the ark. He gets this wonderful idea. And then that's where we pick it up in chapter 13 of the book of Chronicles. You also see this same parallel scripture over in First Samuel. I think it's chapter 6. So it's being chronicled in another spot for us. This one has a little bit more detail. And so I like it. It says, David consulted with all of his officials, including the generals and captains of his army. Then he addressed them. And so what's interesting, well, we'll just read it. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. If you approve, and it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send a message to all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests of the Levites in the towns and the turlands uh, and the pasture lands. Let us invite them to come and join us. It is time to bring back the ark of our God, for we neglected it during the reign of Saul. For the whole assembly agreed to this, for the people could see that it was the right thing to do. So David summoned all the people of Israel from the end of the country, from one end of the country to the other, to join him in bringing the ark of God back to that place right there. Then David and all of Israel went to Bala of Judah, also called why these names, to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name's Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Verse 7, they transported the ark of God. Now we talked about this a little bit Sunday, we paraphrased it, transported the ark of God from the house of Anabedab on the new cart, on the new cart. Now pay attention to that. With uh, Uzzah and, and Ohio, that's not Ohio, that's Ohio, and Ohio guiding it. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with the might and singing and playing all kinds of musical instruments like lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah, or Uzzah, Put his, Uzzah, put his hand on it to steady the ark, and the ark had struck him dead because he laid his hand on the ark. Right? And so David jumped down to verse 12. David was now afraid of God, asked, How can I ever bring the ark back to my care? So David decided to move the ark to the city of David, uh, not to move the ark into the city of David. He took it instead to the home of Obed Edom of Gath. Now, who's Gath? Now, who is Obed Edom? He's part of the tribe of Levi. And Levites were the only ones who were supposed to touch the ark. Now, let's jump over here real quick. So David sees and he gets frustrated with God. One of his men just died for touching it. Now, what I want you to see, there's a couple mistakes David made. Number one, he consulted everybody else as to what he should do in his pursuit of God. He consulted everybody else. And then not only did he consult everybody else, but number two, notice it said he put it on a new cart. Who were the people that put it on a new cart? You can't worship God in a worldly fashion. The Philistines did it first. He tried to transport the ark and have a relationship with God in a worldly way. Do you all see that now? The Philistines built the new cart. David saw what the Philistines did worldly worship and tried to do it with God. We can't worship him like the world. Come on now. So David looks at this and he recognizes this. And then he has three months of it in Obed-Edom's house. I said three years on Sunday. It was wrong. It was three months. And he must have studied the Torah or something. And then he learned from it. Now jump to chapter 15. We're not going to read all of it. We'll just start in verse 13. It says, because you leave us. So David learned something. He's like, now we're going to go get it. And we're going to do it different. 
Now the Levites are going to transport it because they're the only ones that are supposed to touch it. Now look at this, verse 13, out of the New Living Translation, 1996 version, so it probably won't match the screens. It says, because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord of our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it. We failed to ask God how to move it. And because he failed to ask God how to move it, it did not work out. You cannot make where the church is going in this season and where the world is going. I've been reading the New Testament. I tried to read the whole New Testament in 21 days while I was fasting. I'm here to tell you it's impossible. I'm just kidding. It's not impossible. Hallelujah. I just didn't do it. I fell short. But the Gospels, you look at some of the stuff Jesus talked about. I was reading Mark today, and he was talking about, you know, how the times are just going to get worse. And he said there'll be wars against kingdoms. He said there'll be famines. He said they'll, they'll persecute you. They'll kill you. There'll be earthquakes. Now watch this. And he said, and that's the beginning. So what we've seen through plagues and famine, Jesus said, and earthquakes, Jesus said that's just the beginning. Now that don't make me afraid, because that means if the devil and the world's going to ramp it up in a nasty way, the favor of God's going to ramp up on my life. The protection of God's going to ramp up on my life. The prosperity of God's going to ramp up on my life. Everything in my life's going to ramp up because I serve, again, the creator of the universe. Amen. So I'm not afraid of it, but I know it's coming. Right. And so we have to make sure in this season, every move we make, we consult God first. Because look at this now. What David was doing was to honor God. But there's even a right way to honor him. Mm, I, I, I got Miss Gail over here. I'm going to come to this side, see if I can get anyone over here. How, there's a right way to even honor God. You know, we'll, just, we'll use the praise and worship team because they, they sing and they do a wonderful job. They, their, their, their job is to lead us into the presence of God and to honor God with their worship. There's a right way to do that. Right? With humility, not to be seen by men, with the right heart. Right. And if they get up there not doing it God's way, but doing it their way, maybe they want to be seen. Maybe they want to be heard. Maybe they want to show you how they can flow and bring the manifested presence of God. They start doing it the wrong way. It won't bring any honor to God. And guess what? That position is going to be taken. Because God doesn't play. And I wish we'd get that through our heads. He doesn't play. It may last for a season, but when the anointing dries up and you just up there dry singing, mm -hmm, I'll be the first one out here looking at you like, ooh, get your life. <laughs> right now, we don't have to look at them that way because they anointed because they're doing it right. Amen. Amen. Same with me. There's a right way for me to do this up here to honor God. This ain't about me. If y'all think it's about me, you're getting it super twisted. It's about him and his glory and his anointing and what he in his kingdom. 
I'm building no one else's kingdom. I'm not even building Pastor Mark and Pastor Rhonda's kingdom. They in charge of this place and I'm under them, but we're building God's kingdom. And whenever you're building God's kingdom, you got to build God's way. And if you don't build God's way, then you won't have God's glory. And if you don't have God's glory, then you're wasting your time. Listen to this. Psalms 127 verse 1 out of New Living Translation. It says this. Unless the Lord builds the house. So that scripture right there shows me that there's other options. Someone else could build this house. He said, unless the, who is building your house? And I'm not talking about the natural house you live in. I'm talking about your spiritual house. This, this word house right here means your life. Who is building your house? Unless the Lord builds it. Oh, come on. Someone give me an amen. I said, unless the Lord builds it. I'm not, I'm not, I, glory to God. And I'm going to just tell myself. Mm-hmm. I've been building my own way. And God has not been satisfied with Robert's way of building. And so at the start of the year, he said, you're not eating. And I agreed because I want to build his way. And he said, and he said, you're going to learn. And it's like learning how to trust him all over again. It's like I got saved at the at January 1st. Just walking in, in new ways and new glory with him. How long I frustrated what God wanted to do because I was doing it my way. You know, over here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it says this. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life, which you were called. This is out of the NIV version. To which you were called when you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. You know what we never learn about the good fight of faith? You know what's not often talked about, about the good fight of faith? Is doing the fight of faith his way instead of your way. We're not often taught about... When God tells you that this is going to happen, we're not often taught about how to keep ourselves out of the middle of it. How to put my spin on it. Like David did with the Ark of the Covenant. But step back and just saying, okay, I trust in you. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. And no matter what it looks like, I'm doing it your way. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. And, and no matter that, that profession of faith before many witnesses, there's, there's one way to live this life as a Christian, and that is God's way. There's not many ways, just like there's not many ways. He talks about that. I am the narrow road. I am the narrow gate. But broad is the road that leads to hell, and many travel along it. That's Jesus' way. Hey, my words. That's his words. I'm traveling Pav's not here. He's in some nation we can't say. He used to be in a band called The Road Not Taken. He'll tell you they weren't very good. I was a little groupie for like six months. And that's it. The road not, I want to go down the road not taken. Let me go down the road that many don't travel because they're not willing to submit to his way. Come on now, 2020, this is, this is what the Lord told me. 2023, again, perception in my heart, 2023 is going to be a year of abundance. But he, now, yeah, you shout about that. Wait till the next part. <laughs> he said it's going to be a year of abundance, but it's got to first be a year of sacrifice. Yeah. 
Yeah, y'all got quiet on that one now. Not as much excitement about that. You know what I mean? Two different words, abundance and sacrifice. See, if we can see what's coming on the heels of the sacrifice, if we saw that it's abundance, then we'd be excited about that word sacrifice. And when it comes to fighting the good fight of faith, you know what usually stands in the way of that fight? You. Me. (laughs) Glory to God. Y'all having fun? I'm having fun. You know what Romans 12 says? Present yourselves what? A living sacrifice. What is a picture and the symbol of an altar? Remember, we, we talked about Abraham. He built one before he laid Isaac on it to crucify it. The altar is a representation of a place that things go to die. And so in Romans 12, 1, the Apostle Paul saying, go to this altar so something in you can die so you can live for the king. So here's the question in 2023, what has to die inside of me? What has to die in me so something greater can live? Less of me and more of you. Okay, Lord, I see that. But how we get there? I got to kill something. Jesus had to kill something in the garden again. He killed his will, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus had to do this too. And if Jesus had to do it, if he had to kill something in him, you best believe you're going to have to kill a whole bunch of stuff in you. (laughs) Glory to God. Amen. And so I just want the glory to come in. You know, I want the wind of the Holy Spirit, the winnowing fork of God. We all know what that is, amen, with the chaff and the wheat. Just throw it up and let the fan of the Holy Spirit hit it and let it divide, right? So the chaff is blown away and the wheat falls to the floor. That's what's happening in my life, and I invite you to let it happen in your life too. It's not always an easy process, not always a fun process, but a process that's worth it and a process that is required if we're going to fight and live this life of faith. Amen. So asking the Holy Spirit, just throw it up in the air because right now it's all mixed together. My will, God's will, my things, your things, it's all mixed together. So let's just throw it up in the air. Let's hit it with the wind of the Holy Ghost and let's, let's see what remains and what remains. That's what he said in Hebrews 12, 28, 29. He said, I'm shaking everything that can be shook. And only the unshakable things will remain. I love that portion of passage. Let's just look at it. Hebrews 12, verses, we'll start in 25. See to, man, look at how the Holy Spirit fits this together. Didn't have this in my notes, but look at this first, first line on New Living Translation. See to it that you obey God. Doing it his way. See to it that you obey God, the one who is speaking to you. Who's speaking to you? Oh, come on now, church. Who's speaking to you? So what does that mean? Don't take it lightly. See to it that you know who is speaking to you. For the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger. Listen, how? When they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, how terrible our danger if we reject the one who speaks from heaven. So he's saying, oh, 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 man, there's a scripture That I could tell you that Jesus said that would wreck so many people. 
Jesus said, when, but right before he's about to send out the disciples, oh, this will be fun. Let's see how this flies. Right before he's about to send out the disciples and they're worried about, Lord, don't you know they're going to persecute us and they're going to kill us? And Jesus said, why are you fearing man who can just kill you when you ought to be fearing the one who can kill you and send you to hell? Oh, hello. <laughs> and then what happened after that? The disciples were like, we're going. <laughs> you know what I mean? Say less. Hallelujah. We on the way. <laughs> right? Because it put things into perspective. Oh, I'm fearing man who can just send me to the grave when God. Uh-oh. Uh-oh now. Has the power to kill me and decide my eternity. And that's kind of what. They're saying here in Hebrews, they're saying, you know, the children of Israel rejected Moses' advice and we saw what happened to them. How worse will it be for those who reject the one and it's in capital? So talking about him who speaks to them from heaven. So let me get quick about obeying what he speaks. Someone say, I'm quick. Let me get quick obeying. Amen. Verse 26. When God spoke on Mount Sinai, his voice shook. Now, this is so cool. Don't have a lot of time. Well, we'll just take it anyways. Woo, back in the Old Testament, this will help somebody. I believe it will. Amen. You know, when God first created things, he created these places where heaven and earth just collided. In the beginning, that was the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden was up on a high place, and heaven and earth would just collide right there. And God would come and walk with man. Okay. Right? Where else do we see it? We see it with Moses. Where did he go to meet with God? Up on the mountain. Heaven and earth collided. We also see it when they tried to build the Tower of Babel. And they were trying to reach the heavens. Well, I used to think, well, you ain't building a tower to space, y'all. They didn't have to go to space. They just had to get high enough to where heaven and earth collided. Now, guess what? He doesn't live in tabernacles built by man's hand anymore. Heaven and earth collides on the inside of you. All the time now. Heavenly vessels, the glory of God. He's walking with you every single day. Christ goes with you. Just like Corinthians 10.4 talks about the rock that traveled with them in the wilderness. He's traveling with you right now because you are the house of the temple of the Most High God. Heaven and earth collides all the time. Hallelujah. When we worship God together, heaven and earth, it collides. When you read your Bible, heaven and earth collides. When you pray, heaven and earth collides. Right now, heaven and earth on the inside of you, it's colliding. Amen. And that's what Jesus did when he rent that veil and he tore it in two. Now God said, let me just pour out my presence on people. Amen. I have permission now just to go and be with them. To glory to God to rest on them. Like I did in the book of Acts. And I just sit on them like a mighty rushing windstorm. Like clothing fire and tongues. Let heaven and earth collide. And we're going to see that like never before in 2023. And moving forward, heaven and earth colliding. Glory to God. And so we were on this collision course with heaven. Verse 27. This means, so this is what happens, right? When he met on Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heaven also. This means the things on earth will be shaken so that eternal things will be left. So he, guess what? You know, we don't need to take a geography class. We don't need to go back to science class. Y'all know where you are. You're on earth. And if you're in earth and he said things on earth will be shaken, guess what? That means you're about to be shook. 
And God, now this is, can I just tell you something though? This is only for those who want it. And I've been saying, Lord, shake me like a salt shaker over steak. I mean, just put it on there. Because I only want eternal things to remain. Come on, are we getting hungry for more of God in this place? Amen. Are we, are we getting hungry to let God build the house? 1 Corinthians 9.25 out of the Baron Study Bible says this, Everyone who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. Are we ready to strictly discipline our lives so we can have more of God? Are we, are we ready to be very strict with our lives so we can do it and build God's way? Because everything you're doing, you're building the kingdom. Are we building the right way? And so we're seeking God and we're disciplining our lives. They do it for the crown that is perishable. We do it for a crown that is perishable, but we do it. So he's talking about athletes do it for a crown that's perishable, but we do it for a crown that is imperishable. So I'm fighting this fight. I'm running this race so we can get those eternal gifts. Amen. I set on the judgment seat of heaven. And when your eyes are set on the judgment seat of heaven, you'll discipline yourself to run as a proper disciple of Christ. So that way, Christians are no longer making a mockery of God, which makes it harder for the world to mock God. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 out of the King James Version. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, uh, Christ, nevertheless, I live yet. uh, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith. Of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now look at this, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 out of the Amplified Bible. I've been crucified with Christ. Again, just like an altar, crucifixion. It's where something goes to die. Let everything in me that's not of God die. I've been crucified with Christ. That is in him. I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now look, the life I live, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith. Here's the key: by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. If we're going to live this life, and we're going to do things God's way, we must completely rely on Him. We must completely trust in Him. We must completely adhere to him and his way of doing things. Go over to Jeremiah. Glad you all came to church tonight. Glory to God. Jeremiah chapter 2. We're going to read verse. So here God's making his case against his people. Verse 7. And when I brought you into a fruitful land to enjoy its bounty. Listen, he's brought you into a fruitful land. This land, which is a relationship with him. And when I brought you into a fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and goodness, you defiled my land and corrupted the inheritance I promised you. So what are we doing with this fruitful land he's brought us into? What are we doing with this relationship and these promises that are yes and amen? 
Are we defiling them? Are we mocking God? You know, over in Psalms chapter 1, where he talks about not sitting in the seat of the scornful, that word scornful in the Greek means imposter. Are you sitting in the seat of an imposter? Or are you sitting in the seat of someone who genuinely loves Christ? Glory to God. Verse 8. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? The judges ignored me. The rulers turned against me. And the prophets spoke in the name of Baal, wasting their time on nonsense. No more time wasted on nonsense. Now, I'm not saying that you can't. What is nonsense? To me, that's sin. Things that God disagrees with. Not saying we can't go to the movies and hang out with friends and go out to dinner. That's not the nonsense I'm talking about. I'm talking about sinning against God. No more nonsense, because that's what they were doing. And so he said, no more nonsense. Verse 9. Therefore, I will bring my case against you, and I will keep accusing you, even against your children's children in the years to come. I, the Lord, have spoken. Go west of the land of Cyprus, go east of the land of Kedar. There, think about what you see there. See if anyone has ever heard anything as strange as this. Has any nation ever exchanged its gods for another god, even though its gods are nothing? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious god for worthless idols. So he's saying, you have nations around the world that don't even have a real God. They don't even serve the creator of the universe, but yet they won't even trade their God in for another God. And you have me, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who is the great I am, who is and is to come. You have the Alpha and the Omega. You have a God so great that one name does not suit him. When they thought they knew him as Jehovah, they learned something new, and now he's Jehovah Rapha. And then they learned something new, and he's Jehovah Jireh. And then he's Jehovah Sikhanu, right? You have a God that one name's not enough to capture all of his splendor. One name's not enough to capture all of his glory. One name's not enough to capture all of his goodness. Hallelujah. That's the God you serve. And yet he says, but you'll exchange me for anything. And then he says this, the heavens are shocked at such a thing and shriek back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people, look at this now, have done two evil things. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns, or they've dug for themselves own wells that hold no water at all. The fight of faith. What we do is, in the fight of faith, we go out, we abandon God in the well he's brought us to to drink from, and we start digging our own well that won't even hold water. We've been given a wonderful fountain in Christ. And in order to partake of the well he has dug for you, and the goodness that is God, we must live this life as disciples His way. There's no other way. It's like that old military saying, death before dishonor. Well, before I dishonored God, 
It's not even a question. We're not going down that road. I want to drink from the well that he's provided. I don't want to be those two things that they did. I'm not going to forsake him. And I'm not going to go off and do my own thing. But instead, I'm going to trust in and rely on the Lord. Now, why has the Lord put this on my heart to minister to you? Because he has shown me through the Holy Spirit what 2023 has in store for us. But in order to get to what he has for us, there must be a doing of things his way. Like never before. (laughs) And we have to be sure that we cut out any loopholes that we may have opened to where we have this false sense of submission and obedience. And we need to get over here to Real obedience. Right? Let me not be like Jonah. Go preach in Nineveh. Well, they're killing people over there. I got a better idea. Why don't I go preach over here? So I'm still obeying because I'm preaching. See, and so it's kind of like this. We can live. How long is it? It took him three days to get out of the belly of the well before he submitted his heart and said, you know, I'll go to Nineveh, death or dishonor. So it's almost as if God is saying we can be in the belly of the fish for as long as it takes. (laughs) Well, how do we get out of the belly of the fish? We trust God. Last scripture for you. Go over to Proverbs. If we will trust God and and that's what he's been doing with me for this 21 day fast. I've been saying it, but some of y'all be looking like T-bone steaks right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Travis just looks like a wonderful piece of bread. This <laughs> is a big old pot of butter next to him. Hallelujah. <laughs> you be looking like cheese curds up here. Hallelujah. <laughs> About to go to Culver's. And so I'd be seeing food everywhere. <laughs> but he's been teaching me How to trust him all over again. How to walk. When I I get hungry. Actually, I haven't been hungry. But when I want to eat, I open up my Bible and read. And that desire is fleeting. You want the desires of the flesh and the things that the world loves to do and the temptation that the devil brings to you to be fleeting? Then get in the word. And it'll be fleeting. And so here, Proverbs chapter 3. Did y'all find it? We'll just start in verse 1. My child, never forget the things that I have taught you. Store my commandments in your heart, for they will give you a long and satisfying life. Now, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just speak that over somebody. Long life. In Jesus' name. Long life. No matter what the enemy has said, no matter what your body has told you, with long life, he will satisfy you. But here in Proverbs, it's talking about trust the Lord. As you trust in him, long life. And so we release that, and you're just receiving from the anointing that's been in the room all night. 
Long life, verse 3. Never let loyalty and kindness get away from you. Wear them around your neck. Write them deep within your heart. Then you'll find favor with both God and people, and you'll gain a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will direct your paths. This, to me, is just another aspect of the good fight of faith. The good fight of how do I how do I lean not on my understanding, but trust in the Lord? How do I lean not on what my mind is telling me, but trust in the spirit of God? And and one more thing for you. Understand that God is a spirit. We know that to be true. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And God, as a spirit, wrote a spiritual book. And he wrote this spiritual book unto spiritual beings. So as a spiritual being, you cannot expect to comprehend all that's in this book with your natural mind. And so if you lean on your own understanding, you're going to miss some things. Because the things of God's word are not revealed to you in the natural, but revealed unto you spirit. And then as it's revealed to the spirit, that revelation will bring revelation to your natural mind as well. But first we have to understand that, okay, there's going to be moments in time where my natural brain... And God, don't line up. And so at that moment, I'm going to have to trust in him. You remember Peter walking on water. I'm sure that didn't register in his natural mind as possible. Right? But yeah, he got out of the boat. And the disciples, they really struggled with this all the time. When you read the Gospels and they talk about, you know, Jesus fed 5,000, then he read 4,000 again. Then they're out on a boat and they forgot to pack a lunch. So they just got one loaf of bread and they said, Master, how are we going to eat? And Jesus looked at him and said, have you not been with me long enough? Don't you remember? I just fed 5,000 and then I fed 4,000 again. And you're here wondering how we're going to eat with one loaf of bread. Do you not get it? He was saying, your minds don't understand. See with your spiritual hearts. I can do this. What God is saying to you in 2023, he can do it. He will do it. But you can't see it with your natural mind. You can't lean on your natural understanding. You can't lean on your ways. You must rely on the Holy Spirit for the children of God are led by the Spirit. You must trust in God, adhere to God, rely on God, and then you'll see what God said in your life. But until then... And this is why so many Christians are frustrated. We hear the promises that are yes and amen. And it's such a wonderful thing that they are. But yet we live our lives our way so the promises never manifest. And then we get frustrated. And what a favorite thing to do is to roll it up on God. And so we got to examine ourselves as the word of God teaches us. Examine ourselves and say, no, where do I need to get better at serving you? Where do I need to stop being a Christian and start being a disciple? Get that worldly, te- that worldly term and phrasing off of me. Because it's what the world created to mock the followers of Jesus. I'm not a Christian, I'm a disciple. A disciple is one who obeys the commandments of their teacher. Period. Glory to God. Well, that's kind of harsh. It's not. It's good news. Because as I obey, now I see what he's promised me in my life. Now, this fight of faith that's been a struggle because I've been doing it in my strength becomes easy. Because it's not by might, nor by power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord, according to Zechariah 4, 6. And so once you get out of your power and your ability and your strength and you start relying on his power, his ability and his strength, this fight of faith becomes easy. Well, it's been a struggle. Well, examine our lives. What have I been doing that's been making it a struggle? We don't like to have that talk very often. It's always the devil's fault. It's always demons. And, and, ah. You know, the devil's not like God. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. So every issue you have is not him standing right there being the source of that issue. See, there's a revelation in there for someone. That'll help you too walk in victory because all these battles that you're fighting that you think are the devil really aren't the devil. It's just you and you can fix you. Oh, Satan's just harassing me. He, he ain't even nowhere close to you. And we just made a terrible decision. We just did something in our own. So we just burped an Ishmael. Uh-oh. Out of our own strength and our own ability. And we're over here yelling at the devil. And he's just like, yeah, I'll take the credit. But, you know, I'm not there. And God's like, you'll have my disciples. You'll have less issues. If you just start walking with me. If you just start trusting and relying in and depending upon me. Get out of your own understanding. Well, I don't understand how this is going to work. Well, if you understood how it was going to work, then I dare to say you don't need him. So we're going all the way back to the garden now where we want to be gods over our lives. Let me just figure out how to do this. Ooh, y'all, I've done so much in my own strength. And I just got to tell you, God's tired of it. Proverbs 3, 34 and 35. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. Humble means relying on the Lord instead of myself. Simply put, it's dependency. Let me depend on God. Not for some things, for all things. Let me depend on God and let me have him show me how to be a pastor. Let me depend on God and let me allow him to show me how to be a husband. Let me depend on God and let him show me how to be a father. Because I could be a father in my own strength. I could be a husband in my own strength. I could be a pastor in my own strength. Let me depend on God. Come on, and let, let him show me how to be a member of my church. Let him show me how he's given me talents and abilities so I can bring them in here to enhance this place. Not to enhance my life, but to enhance this place. Let, let God show me what he's doing in my life, right? So I can give it to this world so they can be blessed. Let God show me what's going on so I can be better. Let, me, let God show me how I'm supposed to be an employee so I can be a better employee. Let God show me how I'm supposed to conduct myself at Kroger. One store. Let's, let's just start with one store and we'll branch out. Hallelujah. Just start at Kroger. Glory to God. 
Let, him, let, let me see how I'm supposed to conduct myself at Kroger. Let God show me, get outside of myself, and now I'll start to walk as a child of God. Therefore, I'll start to walk in the power of God. Amen. Therefore, I'll start to see what God has promised in my life. Amen. And all this other stuff will fall to the wayside. And that's what it's about. The expansion of, the maintenance of, and the growing of his kingdom. Let thy kingdom come, let thy will be done. Your role in the kingdom is important. God's will in your life is important. But you've got to rely on him. You've got to trust in him. And you've got to adhere to him. And then these things shall be.